The Hoffmans, Chuck and Ellendale, are not here today in person, but they have asked me to report to you on the pilgrimage I took in northern Spain on the Camino Frances, while it is still fresh in my mind. I am grateful to those of you who prayed for me before I left and during my time there. And it was a blessed time. This will not be a normal sermon because it's a personal report and it will be a bit shorter than usual. But I want to tie this report to the account in the gospel today about Jesus's instructions to the 70 as he sent them out to the villages in Judea and Perea. I had decided to go on pilgrimage because my life had changed decisively with my wife Terry's dying and my imminent retirement from Yale. I was at a loss to know how the rest of my life should go. I took as my motto, Psalm 143, verse eight. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. I had a certain agenda for how I thought this was going to go. I had a list of what I thought were the six most plausible possibilities for my future direction and where I should live. And I was hoping that God would show me the best ranking between them. This was a bit like an executive retreat where the leaders of the group get together for long-term planning. But this is not actually what happened at all. Instead, God showed me some important things about how I should live now. There are, I think, implications for the rest of my life, but these were not the focus of what I was shown. I went with my sister Ellie, who had done some of the Camino before. She is not a Christian, and she is a strong socialist with strong views about not having other people carry your luggage for you. So we carried everything on our backs with the water and a change of clothes and personal items and snacks, almost 20 pounds each. We walked roughly 10 miles a day for eight days, about 80 miles. People have been walking this path for over a thousand years. And there are lots of hostels and eating places along the way. So we didn't have to carry bedding or major food. 
The hostels were either dormitories with bunk beds, about 20 people in a room, or we got private rooms with two beds. The eating places had what they call pilgrim menus, very inexpensive and sometimes basic. But when you're walking like this, food tastes good. We started with a pilgrim mass in Leon and ended with a pilgrim mass in Santiago, which is where traditionally St. James is buried. James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee and Salome. In many of the villages we walked through, there were simple churches dating from the 10th and 11th centuries. And every day, Ellie and I would stop in one of them and I would pray. I said to her one morning, this morning I have experienced strongly the presence of God. And she said to me, I think I have experienced the presence of God too. She had never spoken to me like this before. But more of this in a moment. I want to talk about the passage from Luke. In one way, this is very different from my experience on the Camino. The 70, or in some texts, 72, were on a mission trip to go beforehand to all the towns and villages Jesus was going to visit to prepare for his coming. But in a remarkable number of ways, the experience is the same. I think this is because Jesus is not merely preparing them for a mission trip. He is showing them how to live, the way he lived himself. You could say we're all on a mission trip to prepare for his coming. I'm going to speculate presumptuously about the reasons behind Jesus's instructions based on my experience of pilgrimage. He sends them out two by two so that they are not alone in facing the difficulties of the way, but also they have the flexibility, unlike a larger group, to adjust easily to changes in circumstances. They can be companions. They are to go village to village, not staying long in any one place because they are on a mission. They are not to take a lot of equipment with them because it would just slow them down and keep them from moving on lightly on the way. No bag or purse, just the necessities for next day. 
They are to eat what they're given at each stop. And they're not to be fussy about accommodations, moving from one house to another in a village as though what was given them first was not sufficient for them. They are not to chatter. I think this is the point about not greeting along the way. Jesus is not forbidding the cheerful Juan Camino, which the pilgrims and the locals say to each other repeatedly. The pilgrims have unity of purpose and unity of direction. But rather, Jesus is asking them not to engage in the traditional prolonged and courteous ritual, which is delightful in some circumstances and an ancient practice of hospitality, but not when you're on the way to the village eight miles up the hill before dinner. They are to share peace as they go. This is a central point, and I will come back to it. You have to have peace before you can share it. And on the Camino, that is what Ellie and I experienced, a deep sense of peace. But this peace does not merely stay within you as individuals, it gets shared. And Jesus says it's like a gift, which if it's not received, returns to you. We are the recipients of this gift from others, as well as the givers of this gift. But suppose something goes wrong. For example, a hostel marked in the guidebook is locked. And the person on the listed phone says, 10 minutes and never comes. And the next village is another four kilometers to walk at the end of the day. If something goes wrong, The 70 are not to let the disappointment and anger take over their souls. They are to brush it off like dust from their feet. They are not to give it the power to destroy their peace. Finally, they are to tend the weak. Some of the pilgrims are needy. They have blisters, or their money is running out, or they are lonely. Ellie and I met a few of these, and we did what we could to help. I hope you will see the parallels in all of this. The main point is this. When you are on pilgrimage, the inessential things fade away. I am on various difficult committees at work, 
dealing with thorny issues where there seems no good solution. I did not think about them at all. The six items on my agenda somehow no longer seemed so overwhelmingly important. What was important was the pattern, the rhythm of walking and the beauty of what we were walking through, the Montes de Leon, hills and valleys bursting with flowers. We saw three kinds of orchid and thrift and bellflowers and lupins and pennywort. And the sound of the cowbells and the constant singing of birds, white throat and golden oriole. And the smell of the wild lavender and the thyme and the mint. And the companionship, often in silence, but then sometimes with deep and open conversation. And above all, the sense that God was with us, loving us, which was too deep for words, but which brought tears. Peace is one word for that fits, a peace that is strong enough to banish anxieties and distractions. Another word is freedom, as though we had cast aside the chains that held us captive. And a third word is simplicity. I said that Jesus himself lived this kind of life. But there is another figure who belongs here. St. Francis, according to tradition, walked the Camino and founded a monastery along the path. We walked by an 800-year-old chestnut tree that he would have seen Many of the churches had commemorations of his pilgrimage in 1214. The favorite Franciscan word for our status on this earth is that we are pilgrims, via torres, those on the way, on the via. Francis was a follower of the way of simplicity, giving away his riches and communing with his brothers and sisters in the natural world, the birds and the animals and brother sun and sister moon, as well as with his human brothers and sisters in need. This brings me back to what I said were implications of my pilgrimage, even though not the focus of it. We decided to stop for a half day's rest in Molinaseca, where there is a refreshing river which flows under a bridge built by the Romans and an ancient church dedicated to St. Nicholas of Berry, 
Allison, Nick. Some of the churches we had passed had been locked. But outside this one, there was a retired gentleman from Arizona named Jim, who had devoted his life after walking the Camino himself to keeping this church open and talking to the pilgrims who came through. We talked on the way in and then on the way out, he stopped me and said he had a word for me. That giving is what would reveal meaning in my life. This fitted with what I had heard inside the church, which was that I needed to make myself and my work accessible. It fitted also with what I experienced later in a church at La Faba dedicated to St. Andrew and maintained by some German brothers. These 10th century churches are so simple. Rounded stone arches and whitewashed vaults and behind the altar a reredos of carved figures folk art and unsophisticated, but folk art of 200 years ago. I thought I should write a simple book, not full of technical virtuosity designed for my professional peers, but one designed to be accessible to the general public unpretentious and unadorned for my fellow pilgrims. It's worth putting this in contact with Elijah's experience of the presence of God at Horeb. He had just been fighting with the prophets of Baal and had won a mighty victory on Mount Carmel. And the people had slain 450 of the false prophets. But Queen Jezebel had vowed vengeance. And Elijah had fled from Carmel into the desert to Horeb and hidden in a cave, complaining that he was the only faithful one left in Israel. And God had told him to come out and he would pass before him. But God was not in the great wind or in the earthquake or in the fire. But in what I heard translated as a child as a still small voice. There are other renderings. NRSV has the sound of sheer silence and NIV a gentle whisper. Most of the translations have in common that there is a combination of in how the presence of God is manifest here. On the one hand, there is silence or stillness, which is an absence. 
And on the other hand, there is gentleness, which is a presence, both together. God's presence here is not merely the absence of sound, but the presence of love and grace. And God goes on to tell Elijah that there are actually 5,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he should, he should go back and carry out the positive mission entrusted to him for God's reign. I want to say that I experienced the presence and love of God on the Camino, and it came not in power and might, but quietly in the simple acts of walking and looking and praying. I want to try to share that simplicity in my work. So there was the Camino, but then there is the return. This is what the priest spoke to us about in Spanish at the final pilgrim mass in Santiago. What are you going to do tomorrow, mañana? Today is Father's Day. And those of you who have adult children will know that responsibility for our children does not end when they leave home. I got back late last Sunday, and on Monday, I got a call from one of my sons and his wife, telling me that they were splitting up after being together for 22 years and having a child. They had kept it from me because they did not want to spoil my Camino. I think returning is often like this. When Peter, James and John came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they found the other disciples trying and failing to cast out demons. Monday morning for me was also the beginning of teaching summer school on Zoom for a week. I have been struggling to hold on to the sense of peace and freedom I had in the Montes de Leon. How can we do this? How can we live with a sense of God's loving presence in the middle of life's busyness and sadness. I think Psalms 42 and 43 are a help, though not an easy one. The Psalmist is in the midst of trouble. 
His soul is downcast within, longing for God as a deer pants for the streams of water. He remembers how it was when he went with the multitude in the procession to the house of God. He remembers the Camino. But remembering is not the end of his journey. We should not live in the past, trying to repeat it, because that is itself contrary to the spirit of the Camino, which is to be in the present. The psalmist says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What breaks through is the deep calling to the deep. The Lord directing his love and giving his song to our hearts, which call out for God. I have found this in the days since coming back. I should not be trying too hard to hold on to God. I just get in the way. If I remain open, which I badly want, I do still feel that love and hear that song, though not continuously. I still sometimes have to shake the dust from off my feet. But God is still there calling to me. And something in me is calling back. I have to let it. And I will do so. As the psalmist says, I will yet praise him who is my savior and my God. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you that you are still calling to us. And we pray that you would show us how to be open to this calling. Thank you for the times when we are aware of your presence and help us in those times when we are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.